Hey, everybody, I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. Will today be the last day that we wait before fighting back against this pandemic? I say we because after 138,000 dead, this president has not really moved much from his original delusion. They tried the impeachment hoax. That was on a perfect conversation. And this is their new hoax. We now all know that the pandemic is all too real and that the real hoax is the Trump administration's alleged response. He can't wear a mask at the Resolute desk, but he can go Goya, oh boya. He can't help states with schools, but he has plenty of energy to take on this catastrophe. So shower heads, you take a shower, the water doesn't come out. You want to wash your hands, the water doesn't come out. So what do you do? You just stand there longer or you take a shower longer? Because my hair, I don't know about you, but it has to be perfect. <laughs> perfect. You could just turn the knob more or call a plumber. But the bigger point is, why make up a problem like he just did when you have a real pandemic? Team Trump's lack of effort to this point has left them with only this weak sauce to sell. We believe this president has great approval in this country. His historic COVID response speaks for itself. Yep. Historic. Historic low numbers. Historic hoax as a response. That's why we, you, I, your neighbors, your community, we can no longer wait. You want your kids in school? You want to get back to work for real? Demand those in power do their damn jobs. How? You have to get angry about what's happening. You must be outraged by the obvious. I know you are. Here's why. Good conscience will not move these men and women to do the right thing for us. Okay, you see it. It has not led our leaders to lessen our load. What will is tapping into their fear of consequence. Many years have passed, but one of the great movies captured where we are right now and where change has to start. Remember this from Network. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street and there's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do and there's no end to it. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to riot. I don't want you to write to your congressmen because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. It was true then. It's true now. If you are not mad as hell at what's happening in this country, you're not paying attention. You can go online. You don't have to go out the window anymore. 
You have to let the people in power, the people on the fringe, the people who comment on the people on the fringe, let them know how outraged you are. Let them know you are going to vote everywhere and in every race you can. None of us is immune to this danger. Only two states have declining cases. 39 are on the rise. The reason is the hoax of our response. There's no reason for America to be the worst. There's no reason for Texas to have to, at this point, with all we had time to prepare for, to be bringing in refrigerated trailers to store the dead. Florida is on fire. Governor DeSantis mocked concerns. Now he babbles through a mask, backpedaling as cases crush that state and all those good people. More daily cases in Florida than New York had at its peak, more than Germany, the UK, and Japan combined, right now. More than 50 hospital ICUs have reached capacity. Why? DeSantis calls the explosion a blip. All those sick and dead, no plan, in denial, hiding hospitalization numbers. Question is, will voters make him a blip? Where is the outrage? Force him to face the facts. Georgia, Republican governor there, Kemp, banning cities from mandating masks in public. Think about this. He is suing Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, who was dealing with COVID, her husband, her kids. He is forcing a block of her mask order, not the other way, forcing her to have people wear masks because they work fighting against one of your only tools. And why? This is the outrage. Because they are all Kemp, DeSantis, Abbott in Texas. They're all on the Trump train. And they're all off the rails as a result. There should be outrage. Because you don't have to be unreasonable to be on the right. GOP-led Arkansas required masks in public today. There are reasonable Republicans still. Governors like Maryland's uh, Larry Hogan compelled to call out this BS. He just wrote an op-ed slamming Trump's hopeless COVID response. This Republican, the head of the Governor's Association, by the way, okay, says the president has left his state to fight alone like all the others. The boldest move by Trump in this mess has been what? Objectively, it's been this power play he just made to hide data from you. It is an outrage. As of last night, the CDC had to take down its COVID patient data under orders from HHS. But what happened? You're outraged. The media's outraged. This is BS what he's doing. I don't have to curse for this to be vulgar. It's all profane. It's all vulgar. Don't worry about the words. Worry about what warrants those words. So, because of the outrage, HHS directed that the data go back up. You see, they fear consequence. They fear the outrage. You have the power. But what's the but? Now they say that data won't be modified after July 14th. Why not? Give me a good reason for limiting your access, my access as a journalist to reality. There is none. It is an outrage. So be outraged. This is not about facts. It's about crushing the fiction. Remember, 
Trump retweeting a conspiracy theory from this former game show host, Chuck Woolery. He was on a show called Love Connection. Woolery accused the CDC, Democrats, doctors, everybody he could think of, of lying about COVID to hurt Trump. What happened? Woolery now says his own son has COVID. He put up a follow-up tweet that this virus is in fact real. It is here before deactivating his Twitter account. That one didn't get a retweet from President Trump. I wonder why not. It is an outrage. Now, let's be clear. I'm saying be outraged, not be inhumane. Forgive Woolery's ignorance. I wish he hadn't canceled his account. I wish that now he would start talking about what the reality is instead of his political reality. And I feel for his kid, man. This sucks. Even if you don't have symptoms, you don't know what's going to happen next. I wish the family well. I hope his son recovers quickly. I hope nobody else gets it. But you cannot forgive a president for faking a response to a pandemic, let alone for political gain. I would bet you anything. If you start voicing your outrage, if he and the others in power, the men and women know you are coming for them, they'd change. The whole dynamic there would change. We need that right now. If you want kids in school, if you want our butts back where we can provide for them best while we work, you have to do it now. So let's focus our energy on what the reality is and what has to happen. I want to bring in Dr. Ashish Jha, the director of the Harvard Global uh, Health Institute. And I want, thank you very much, Doc, for being with me as always, to start with this idea of, I, I hope I'm wrong. What good reason is there to say, no, 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 no not to the CDC hospitals, uh, uh, give it to HHS. Oh, 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 okay, fine, fine, fine. CDC can still have them. All right, I want Jha to be able to have access to the data. Okay, he is a scientist, all right. But uh, not after July 14th. We're not going to update it after that. What is the good reason? Chris, thank you for having me on. There is no good reason. You sure uh, the that there's line. not some efficiency thing or, you know. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Okay, so let's play this out. Fine, fine, fine. You want to, let's play this out. Um, CDC is not doing a great job. The data's, uh, they're not being, you know, they're not sort of handling this efficiently. Uh, let's move this to HHS. Mm. Okay. Um, it's theoretically possible, but CDC is the clearinghouse for all of our public health data. We rely on them. Why would you take one piece of data out if they're not doing a good job? Let's fix it. Let's give them resources, technical expertise, whatever they're missing. But this idea that we're going to create a whole parallel structure, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. What about the July 14th cutoff? Like the pe- We are early in the pandemic, Chris. And so if starting now, we are not going to have updates and regular information on hospitalizations, how the heck do we know like how things are going and how we actually manage these things? So it's a July 14th cutoff is a huge problem. Uh, the argument that, hey, listen, everything is true. OK, uh, you have 39 states are going up, only two are going down. But this is what was always going to happen. Uh, this is not about a mess up. Uh, of any kind of leadership. It's not about people being too lax. The virus was always going to go through. Is that true? Was this inevitable? Not even close. Um, and, and you can say, well, was that just your opinion? No. I look at the rest of the world. Look at Europe. People are opening up. The economies are in better shape. Kids are going back to school. Why? 
because they controlled the virus. And in our country, we have chosen, as our political leaders have chosen, not to control the virus. And that means that in not just those 39 states, but in about a dozen states, things are out of control. Mm. In another dozen states, things are bad, but still manageable. These are choices we've made, Chris. These are not inevitable. These are not faded. And we can still make uh, better choices, especially as we get more information. Let me get your take quickly on two headlines. One, CDC finds most patients seem to share at least one of three symptoms, fever, cough, shortness of breath. Only 45% experienced all three. I'm one of those, uh, by the way. Um, so what, what is the relevance here in terms of why is this good to know? Yeah, so it just is a reminder that while this virus has lots of different manifestations, at the end of the day, almost everybody really experiences it as a respiratory infection, fever, mm. cough, shortness, mm. shortness of breath. Those are the things that really drive this. And so if we just focus on that, anybody who has any of those three things needs to get identified, needs to get tested. Smart testing. And needs to. Yeah. All right. I got you. Uh, How about this other one? Do you buy the blood type stuff? Again, they say A may be more susceptible. I'm A negative. Good grade, bad blood type, (laughs) apparently. And that O is low risk. Now, my wife is O and she got it, but a much more mild case than I had. And there are a bunch of O's in our midst who have these weird stories of not getting it, comma, despite the fact that dot, dot, dot. And then they have these individualized horror stories of, and I took care of this one who was sick as heck, but I never got it. And so do you buy the blood type thing? Look, there's clearly something going on. There's some scientific evidence, clearly, that uh, people with O are less likely to get it, people with A more likely to get it, or more likely to have a severe a case. I don't know what it means. Here's the biggest bottom line. There are plenty of people with O-type blood who still end up getting very sick, so it's not somehow magically protective. And second, none of us can change our blood type. So I'm not sure it really helps at the end of the day. We have to understand what it teaches us about the biology of the virus. That's what's important. Um, And that really is going to take a lot of work, a lot of teamwork of people coming together to figure that out. But from a a functional point of view and a policy point of view, it doesn't really change anything. Dr. Ashish Jha, thank you. Uh, for bringing the information, bringing the insight, uh, and helping us understand things better. We're all in it together. Thank you, brother. Thank you. All right. Tonight, Georgia's governor is going on offense against one of his own mayors for defying his ban on masks. Again, this is Alice in Wonderland crazy talk, okay? The only freedom that Kemp is protecting is the virus's freedom to spread. Let's bring in another Georgia mayor who says he's deeply frustrated. What does that mean? What's he going to do? Next. When you look at the communities that have made progress against this pandemic, they all share wearing masks, taking hygiene seriously, taking distancing seriously. More masks, Fewer shutdowns, period. So explain Georgia to me, to yourself. It's going from bad to worse there, okay? Hopefully, look, it goes up, it comes down, but what makes it come down? The governor there is suing the mayor of Atlanta, saying you can't insist that people wear masks. It includes the governor's hometown of Athens-Clark County. 
That's where my next guest, Mayor Kelly Gertz, uh, is from, Democrat there. Welcome to primetime. Chris, good to have uh, good to have this time with you. Uh, I wish it was under uh, other circumstances. Me too, sir. Is the family well? Does anybody in your uh, immediate family and care have it? My, my family is well. Thank I have an eight-year-old son, and uh, we all got tested about three weeks ago because I came into contact with a colleague who was positive. Um, and, and fortunately, we, we didn't contract COVID, and, and I'm sorry about your own experience. Um, but really, I want to prevent that experience for as many people in this community as I possibly can. But it's difficult under these circumstances with the governor seemingly unwilling to go to the place where many, many other Republican governors have gone. Uh, Texas, Alabama, we're hearing about Arkansas today. Uh, it's just clear that there is some simple health care guidance and some simple science that we all ought to be following across the political spectrum. What is even the legal basis, in your opinion, for fighting masks? I could see the legal basis for insisting on masks. And Mayor Gertz says, no, no masks here. We're about freedom. And then the governor sues and says, too bad, you're endangering public health. But how do you legally justify the reverse? What is the liberty argument uh, here? I, I don't believe there is any legal justification. I, I think it's strictly a political justification. Look, I have some measure of sympathy for Governor Kemp and people across the political spectrum who are leaders in this day and time when everybody has to figure out how to respond to every tweet and every bizarre utterance out of the White House. Uh, it, it's like some strange game of political twister. Uh, I mean, that, that just makes everybody's life difficult. I mean, I, I moved my family into a cardboard box on the street for some national and some statewide leadership right now. But in lieu of that, mayors are acting as I have, as the mayor of Atlanta has, and Savannah and Augusta, and about 14 cities across the state of Georgia. And uh, we come to find out yesterday that the governor is going to try and countermand our orders. Um, we're not lifting our ordinance in Athens, though, because we want to make sure that whether you're in a small business right. or a national chain, you're similarly safe. And of course, we're seeing chain after chain, Walmart, CVS, Kroger right. declare, you know, we're going to require masks in all our stores. And so business people have been asking me to create as level a playing field as possible. Well, so plus you've got the university the in Athens. Exactly. I, I was lucky enough to go and visit there uh, when I was playing in college. Uh, and that's a big UGA campus there. And they have their own uh, rule about masks. And they're like, what, 40,000 strong uh, down That's there. Exactly and right. How do the societies even match up? The, the only thing I want to push back on, on Mayor, is w why all this understanding and forgiveness? Why, why aren't you outraged by what the governor is doing? Because you know it's a naked political play. There's no public it's health terrible. perspective on it. And I think if you guys don't start knuckling up against him, you're going to lose this fight because people don't yeah, want to do what's hard. United. They want to do what's easy. Yes. And we have to be in this together. I mean, certainly I get those fringe phone calls that that, that, that argue the liberty question about masks. Um, but I'll tell you, I worked in retail in the 1980s when we transitioned from having ashtrays at the end of every aisle in the record store I worked at to understanding that, hey, that's not to the benefit of other customers who don't smoke or to the employees who are in there. And it's a very different, a very similar circumstance right now when we're talking about COVID and the ability to keep aerosol spray and droplets from infecting other people. Yeah, and it's just so in public. Same. It's not like you always have to have a mask on. If you don't want to wear a mask, stay home, you know, or That's find right. places to socially home. distance, be places that are six feet apart. I mean, how much of your day do you have to spend in close quarters in your community? Um, you know, I just, I, I feel that this is past time 
for political debate. And it's got to be, you know, because they have the outrage angle. Kemp has outrage on his side, which makes no sense. You know, people who don't want to wear a mask are outraged. They call Mayor Gertz and I'm mad at you. You should be mad at them. People who want to be safe should be mad at them. That's where the outrage should be. And today people are. I'm hearing from constituent after constituent who's saying, please hang on to the mask order. We want to be safe. We want a community that's safe. We want a 40,000 strong university student population that's safe. And of course, as you well know, because you've had conversations about this, even young people who are getting sick are having after effects, lung damage and the like. Yeah, and they can communicate it even if they don't have the symptoms. Listen, Mayor, I feel for that's you. Right. I feel for leaders right now. But you look, this is what you wanted. Uh, everybody wanted to be in a position power to make a difference. Well, you're there right now. Uh, and that's exactly the task at hand. Uh, I don't think this lawsuit can do anything, but it can buy time. So hopefully the messaging uh, to people that even if it's not a law, even if the law is in dispute, it can still be the mandate among people. You know, social pressure, nothing dirty, nothing vulgar. It's about making people more healthy, not less healthy. But hopefully the community gets it right. We will keep our eyes on Georgia. You are welcome here to tell us the state of play whenever it suits you. Mayor Kelly Gertz, thank stay you. Strong. Stay strong. Thank you, Chris. Stay safe. God bless your family. Thank you. All right, so another big story. Can't let it skip by. A global cyber attack on the people trying to save the United States with a COVID vaccine. Have you heard about this? The NSA blames the Russians, and they're not alone. Okay? Do you hear that? Where's Mr. Law and Order? Where is it? Where is the president? Where are his guys right now? on Russia. Next. Okay, here's the headline. Russians are messing with the coronavirus vaccine. This is the latest warning coming from national security officials in the United States and from experts in England and Canada. Now, with that kind of consensus, You'd think the president would be furious, right? After all, in the middle of a pandemic that is literally killing us, his only move seems to be to tell us how quickly a vaccine is coming. I think we're going to have a vaccine very soon. We're very close to a vaccine. We think we're going to have a vaccine in the pretty near future. We think we're going to have a vaccine by the end of this year. So wouldn't you care if the Russians were trying to mess with that effort? The hacking group caught going after researchers goes by a few different names. One of them is Cozy Bear. Remember that? One of the same groups that we know was messing around with the 2016 election in a, quote, sweeping and systematic fashion. By the way, that hasn't stopped either. But there's just no urgency to do anything about it, apparently. Shortly after this president spent most of his time in office under investigation, was even impeached because of Russian hacking, You'd think he'd tell them to knock it off or worse, right? He loves to talk tough. Then again, I was there two years ago today when he stood on the world stage and embarrassed this country in a way that I have never experienced before. Do you remember this? My people came to me, Dan Coates came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. Wow. 
I'll never forget that. On the world stage, he took the word of Putin over his own intel. At this point, it's not even worth waiting for the crickets, right? (laughs) They know he's not going to say anything to Vladimir Putin. Just like he won't say anything about the possibility that Russians were putting bounties on the heads of our troops. In the face of such repeated provocation, it's the silence that's more telling than any words that can come out of his mouth. And I want you to think about this as well. Trump wanted you to focus today on these shiny pickup trucks outside the White House. I drive a Ford, but those are nice. His regulatory reform, photo op, right? That's what he cares about. We know what they show. Not the trucks hauling in refrigerated trailers for states like Texas to store the dead because the hospital morgues are full. That he doesn't want you to pay attention to. But too bad. We will stay focused on what matters. We'll have a former FDA commissioner who's now advising Texas and the governor there on the crisis. What does he see? What happens next? Every state matters, uh, but the big states present unique challenges and they create more of an opportunity to assess what this pandemic does and what works in response. That's why we're watching California so carefully, Florida, and of course, Texas, all right? They have a rising case problem. They have, more importantly, rising hospitalizations and rising death. Now, here is why it's interesting. They have a mask mandate. They have a Republican governor there. It's, I can't believe I have to like qualify that. Like, if you're a Republican, you may not want a mask. That's how crazy this mode is that we're in right now. But Governor Abbott is a Republican, and he said, no, we got to wear masks now. Yes, he fought them early on. He was on the Trump train, but that train crashes. So you have to then get off and make your own way. But he is sending this odd message about why a lockdown just can't happen. Listen. People are panicking, thinking I'm about to shut down Texas again. The answer is no, that is not the goal. I've been abundantly clear. I've been saying exactly what the head of CDC said today. What the head of CDC said today, and that is if everyone can adopt the practice of wearing a face mask for the next four weeks, we will be able to get COVID-19 under control. Yeah, the key is if everyone, okay, and everyone socially distances and everyone practices the right hygiene. But what happens if they don't? Notice he said the word goal in there. No, 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 that's not the goal. Right. But don't play. Because if it's not everyone, then what happens next? Former FDA Commissioner Mark McClellan is advising the governor on the pandemics. Good to see you, my friend. Welcome back on Primetime. Good to be with you, Chris. Uh, So I don't get it. Uh, Why wouldn't you be open to whatever you need to do to get the cases down so that you can rebuild and reopen with the assuredness that we have to have in these days? Well, Chris, uh, the governor is right. If everybody did wear a mask, if everybody did keep out of large groups, if everybody did socially distance and stay home if they have symptoms, we could reopen the economy successfully. You're right that that's not happening in Texas. It's not happening in many other states to the extent that it needs to. It may not really need to be everybody, but 90 percent plus mm-hmm. is what it's going to take for these measures to work. And I think the governor also wanted to emphasize that 
People need to make these choices. Local governments need to help enforce the mask mandate. Uh, it's just like uh, following the fire code in a restaurant or following the no smoking inside rules. These are health measures that are really important right now. And I think he's trying to emphasize just how important it is for people to follow those steps. And also, isn't Texas a cautionary tale? They reopened too soon and the wrong way. It looks strong uh, early on, right? You know, ah, we don't care, we're gonna do it. Texas tough. Isn't that why they're in the situation they're in right now? It would have been much better if the opening had been slower and if it had come along with people taking the mask uh, wearing and these other steps uh, much more widely, if people were doing those things much more widely. At this point, though, it's it absolutely would help if people did follow the mask wearing more consistently. And Chris, I think there are some signs that that's happening. Uh, the mm. local governments are helping now a bit. We've still got a ways to go to get the mask wearing up, but uh, I think there are some signs that Texans are paying more attention. You know, this isn't just an issue of individual choice. It's an issue of being a good neighbor and caring about the people around you, which is also a big part of the Texas tradition. Right, also safety is not weakness. Yeah. Right. I mean, we know what refrigerator uh, trucks look like for bodies here in New York. Uh, we remember yeah. it here. Um, that is not a sign of any kind of balanced response to the threat. You know, that is about a very extreme out of control uh, situation. So at what point, what has to happen for Texas to think about, hey, I got to take another big step backwards so we can all move forward together? Well, Texas has been able to stay open to this point even without everybody or enough people following the guidance about masks and social distancing because of the response of the healthcare system. Compared to New York in April, Chris, they had more time to prepare. And right. you know, hats off to the healthcare providers in Texas. They've ramped up capacity in hospitals. They've got more ventilators. They're able to take care of more people in the ICUs. They're getting stretched right now. They're having to bring in extra health professionals, um, and that can't continue forever. So uh, the governor's right that if everybody does change now and start following the guidance, then Texas could stay open, but there's not much time left for those changes to happen. Is it a coincidence that you have California, Texas, Arizona, Florida getting hit hard? Is the fact that these are governors who are echoing Trump uh, early on not a factor in the noncompliance and the problems? It could be a factor, but Chris, we're starting to see these trends happening in other states. So you're right, Texas, Georgia, Arizona, Florida uh, were early. Uh, California has a Democratic governor. They're having some of the same problems. And now we're starting to see these trends in other states, Kentucky, Missouri, uh, other parts of the Midwest. So the same thing will happen elsewhere. We're still in the first wave of the pandemic. It's just the second phase was Texas and the other big states now. The third phase is gonna be the rest of the United States if we don't all right. take these steps together. I mean, look, that's why I'm, I'm talking at the top of the show tonight about outrage. Uh, people yeah. have to demand that people do what's good for them, not what just looks strong in some bizarro universe. And that takes me to uh, um, Senator Rand Paul. Uh, he's a doctor, but he said something today that's tough to square with medicine. Listen to this. I'm kind of pro-vaccine, but I'm also pro-freedom. Look, there's millions of us like me now who are immune. Are they going to hold yeah. me down and stick a needle in my arm? They probably will because these people believe in the idea that they are so right and that their cause is so righteous that they can inflict it on others. 
How is he not playing politics there, uh, Scott? Because who's immune, by the way? I had it. He had it. I have antibodies. He has antibodies. I don't think I'm immune. Nobody will tell me I'm immune. Um, So what does he know that I don't know? And what is this freedom imbalance with a vaccine? What, What is that all about to you? Well, Chris, chances are you are protected from the virus for a while, but you're right. We don't know. This is a new virus. We don't know how long or how strong immunity is. And so the vaccine is really going to be the way out of this. And if most people uh, don't take it, if we don't get to that 60, 70 percent level of immunity in the population, the virus will keep spreading. It won't burn itself out because it has no place or not enough places to go. So if everybody has that attitude of, well, I'm not going to take it, I'll depend on other people, then we're not going to get there. It's sort of like with the mask. You know, Mm -hmm. we, we all have to be in this together, at least almost all of us. I, um, I hope you're right about the immunity thing. I don't know. So many people are losing antibodies because they didn't have that strong a case and they're going away and we're not used to seeing that with antibodies. I don't know. I just, I'm so unsure of things. I do know one thing though. I got COVID brain. What have I known you? 15 years? And I call you Scott. Mark McClellan, uh, you have always been a benefit uh, to me. Thank you for being a plus for my audience. Always good to see you, brother, and be well. Good to be with you. Stay well. All right. Scott. I don't even know a Scott. All right. Anyway, we're going to stay focused on Texas. Why? Because there's another important perspective I need you to hear. This isn't about the politicians, okay? They're not the ones in trouble. They're not the ones to feel for unless they get sick. It's the people who do get sick and the people who are fighting to keep us well. A doctor and a health director who's on the front lines on all fronts. He's in an area that's swamped with cases. He's running out of equipment and he's trying to manage it all after being infected himself. And it is not fair to the people that we say are our heroes to put them in the positions that we are so nonchalantly. I want you to hear what he's had to deal with. Next. As the situation in Texas gets more dire by the day, I wanna give you a closer look at what's happening in South Texas. Hidalgo County. Hospitals there have hit capacity. Ambulances forced to hold patients for hours before a place can be found. ICUs. The only way someone can get a bed is when another patient dies in America. Dr. Ivan Melendez is seeing all this firsthand as the Hidalgo County Health Authority. He battled the virus himself, He was treating people, even though he had a risk factor, he had a tumor on his heart, makes you a little bit more high risk, as the the doctor obviously knows. This was his first week back. Let's start outside and then move to inside. Doctor, thank you for the work you do. Thank you for being what we call in the show an American, uh, someone we look up to for your service to others. Uh, What is the situation like in Texas from your perspective? Thank you for having me on the show and allowing us uh, for me to voice what is going on in our in our county of 1.2 million people. We are at this point have, uh, since July 1st, uh, especially, have felt a dramatic increase. The statistics that you've mentioned, Chris, around the hotspots in the nation is emblematic of what's going on here. We started before opening up the, com- the community and before having social distances, before Governor Abbott, for whom I have the deepest respect for, uh, before we opened up, uh, we had eight people in the hospital. Now we have 800. 
we had uh, four ICU patients. Now we have 211. We had three people on ventilators. Now we have 135. Um, we It took us two months for 12 people to die in a population of 1.2 million people. We felt that we were doing a strong job. And once we opened within the natural cycle of this virus, as you also know, also being an ex-patient, my God, now we're losing 30, 35 people a day. It took us two and a half, three months to get to 12. And that would be considered a good day today. Today we had 22, but we usually have 30 to 35. I cannot Im impress upon your audience and yourself. I'm listening to your excellent guests who are world experts and global system experts. But as an expert of the Rio Grande Valley, I can tell you that when you need to die to practically get a, a bed in the COVID, when you're up to 10 hours being on a stretcher waiting to be seen, when codes are being done in ambulances in the bays, when you have two or three days of people in emergency departments waiting to be seen, when, I mean, the numbers go on, when we have to bring in refrigerated trucks to hold the bodies, when people do not want to go to the hospital because they're so afraid, Every person I talked to, two intensivists yesterday, one saw 73 patients ventilated. Another patient, another doctor saw 82 patients ventilated. 30% of the people on our ventilators do not make it. We are, we are in dire need and uh, we are exhausted. Uh, I'm not the only one to tell you that we, we go home and we cry. We're exhausted emotionally. We get called at three in the morning thinking about COVID. So indeed in the Rio Grande Valley, um, we have had an average of 17 deaths for 100,000 population since July 1st. The state has had two. Houston has had two to three. So out of 100,000 people of our population, we have 17 died compared hit to what's going on. And look, I, we I, got I, hit. I understand that you re respect the governor and I totally, you know, that, that's your right. Um, but you can't respect the fast reopening because it had to precipitate. Uh, the cycle that you're in right now. And the cost isn't just in the numbers. You know, people get lost in the numbers. They're very helpful to a clinician like you because they al allow you to understand and scale your resources and figure out what you have to do. I totally get that. But on the human level, you had to go through something that just breaks my heart. Uh, and I, I was just shocked to hear that you had gone back to work so fast with what you'd had to deal with. And I want people to understand this from your perspective. Consuela de la Cruz, uh, is a woman who you had care of. She was not just a patient, though. She was a neighbor and a family friend through your mom. And you wound up against this reality of where people are forced to die alone in the hospital. And what is that like for you? What is the hardest part emotionally, Doc, in dealing with someone that you know who's forced to be alone? You had somebody, you had her son make a video for her, right? That is correct. Uh, as, as you say, uh, you can have the deepest respect for a, a person. That doesn't necessarily mean that you respect for the policy. Uh, that being said, you're right. I've lived in this community since 1965. The pictures that you're showing is of Consuelo de la Cruz. This is an 82-year-old female that was my patient. She was my neighbor. Uh, this is one of my mother's best friends. It's very common that our patients, even though we're a very large population now, 1.2 million, we all we all grew up together. This woman was a pillar of our neighborhood. She Every night, she would do her three laps around our block with her cane and that hat that she's wearing in that photograph. 
inspiration to all. While the rest of our parents were humbling about in canes, this this woman was as fit as you can possibly be. And uh, she, you see the family pictures there. They went to the beach a week after the 4th of July. They went to the beach and they were in their own place. They were away from the most of the crowds. As you can see in the photograph, there's ample distancing. People were not symptomatic. Apparently the child, which is relatively unusual, the small child had the virus, unbeknownst oh, no. to anyone. And the majority of the family members, of course, have tested positive. Within nine days, uh, Ms. De La Cruz uh, unfortunately uh, passed away. Oh, and as you say, yeah, as you say, the dramatic part of this, if you can imagine, you're taking care of someone that you love, you've known forever. Her son calls you and says, they've called me from the hospital and we believe she will be, she'll die. And then he sends a video that is a goodbye video telling her how much he respects her. He loves her. She's an inspiration. And, and when, by the time I get to see her that day, she's, she's, she's died. She's gone away. And so as an honor to him and his wishes, what can you do except open up the body bag and show, show this, this poor woman, her, her son's video saying goodbye to her. And so these are the experiences that we're living. The doctors that we work in the emergency department, three are hospitalized. The nurses that brought us in, I've been a doctor for 30 plus years. The nurses that brought us in, were going to their funerals. Uh, it's, it's not just strangers that we're treating. These are a member of our, of our, of our community. They're, they're our you. friends. I hear you, doc. This is just heartbreaking. And thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for your teams. Thank you for feeling for your community enough to come back at the risk you're at. You're always a call away from us to tell us what's going on. You will have this platform. We will not forget. Dr. Yvonne Melendez, Ivan, stay healthy. Be your best and the best to your family. God bless. Thank you for the compassion to our community and thank you for the opportunity to get our story out. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I will be right back. CNN Tonight with D. Lemon starts right now. I was apologizing to Don in the break. I'll do oh it again now. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I didn't I'm even sorry. realize it. But I, I couldn't stop Dr. Melendez talking about how he lost his neighbor and yeah. uh, not being able to get to her in time to play her son's video. I, I apologize. Your, my time is not more valuable than yours. This is the best part of the day. Um, so I'm sorry. Um, yeah. But can I have talk, to. Let's talk about this. Can we talk about masks? Please. What, how did masks become political? How did it happen? One I, word. I, I, what, hold, Trump. Yes. I'll say a family member uh, goes to the doctor in a red state. The doctor says he's not wearing a mask. The family member walks out and says, I'm not, then you're not going to treat me today. Nurse runs behind her and says, okay, he, he's going to wear a mask. When she gets into the room, the doctor says, I can't do it because I'll lose half my patients. I believe it. I mean, come on. I believe it. Look at what's happening in Georgia. A doctor. It is the. It may be the one of the first times in American Suing. history um, where something that is a known prophylactic, something that is protective, that a governor is suing to not be able to keep people safe. It reminds me a little bit of the seatbelt. Um, litigation. <laughs> I was just thinking about it. I, I have that. Don't steal it. It's in my open. All right. I'm not going to well, touch no, it. We can what? talk about it, but right, let's no, talk no. about it. But look, you, the only you difference try, is you try not wearing a seatbelt in some states or getting pulled over by and see how much personal freedom you have. Right. Or you try lighting up a cigarette in a federal building or any building and see how much personal freedom you have. Right. Now, the big distinction was and why people were pissed off about seatbelts kind of akin to helmets was don't tell me how to protect myself. 
But smoking and, of course, masks, it's not about you. Your line of personal liberty ends at my liberty to be safe. And but I've never seen anything like this before where the mask Kemp has no good reason. Right. He has lots of bad reasons. And that's where we are. That's why I'm calling for outrage. It'll be the only thing that'll make these men and women respond is fear of consequence for what they're doing. I think you're right on. And a little bit of a different, I did that back in April, but I said, um, Americans are mad as hell. How much more are they going to take was my spin on it. But but listen, I have to tell you, I do think people are mad right now. I think you saw people out on the streets. It wasn't, uh, the the bulk of it was because of, police brutality and, and injustice for, for people of color. But a lot of those people are mad at the way things are. That's part of the way things are right now. And one reason the way things are the way they are is because of this president and this administration, how he treats African-Americans, how he doesn't understand the plight of, of people of color, how he treats immigrants. And that's why people are upset. So I do think people are mad as hell. And they've been out there protesting on the streets. I also believe as this administration believes, in the silent majority, but I believe it's on the other side this time. I think there are people who are just fed up with this president, and they can't wait for, for November. They're, ti- they're, sick of, they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I think they've just said, I, look, they've dialed out. I'm done. I can't deal with it. I don't care if it is a tree in November. I'm going to vote for that tree. I really do. I, I sense the frustration of people. And I know people are going to say, yeah, but look, you got to look at all the people at the Trump rallies. Look at all. He's not expanding his base. I don't think there's more of them this time than there were last time. I think his base is shrinking. But that doesn't mean he's not going to win. But I do think that the silent majority of people in this country, because you don't need the you got to win by the Electoral College, not necessarily by the majority. Right. They're upset and they are they've just dialed out. And I, I think I said this to you or someone the other day. The president was on TV last week or the week before giving some really important um, uh, briefing or something in the Rose Garden, or he was making some important announcement. And I just got the sense that nobody was listening. Like nobody, because people have just dialed out. They are done with the chaos and the division. We will see. Uh, I I mean, I don't know how you can't be uh, just completely heartbroken. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything that's happening around us, so much of it is so sad. Uh, and look, there's some rays of light in it, uh, how people like the doctor we just spoke to and the people you feature on your show every night who yeah. are going above and beyond. Uh, we're not just our worst. We're not just our worst instincts and our worst moments and our worst people. We're our best as well. But this is so sad. The president exposes so much of what is wrong with leadership yeah. and how we do things. Uh, that if he's rewarded for it, and he may well be, because between now and November is a a lifetime. Yep. And there's very good reason to believe that we will get a better handle on this. Yeah. And if we do- Well, I got to run, you know, because you ate up half of my first segment. Look, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'll make it up to you, and I apologize (laughs) to your audience. It's the best part of the night is what I took time from, and I'm sorry. Yeah, but you know what? People, that's the reason we have doctors and experts, people, is because they tell you what you need to do to protect yourself even when you think it is your personal freedom. Ridiculous. That is such a ridiculous argument. I'll see you later. You know who's great with masks? Me. You. Because I look better with masks. No. No, you've been really good about it. I've even seen you jog with a mask on. Yeah, I know. I got it. There it is. With the lemons. I gave you one. 
Thank you, sir. I your wife, look on your wife's Instagram. She has it on today. Thank you very much. I shall see you later. Have I love a good you, night. Don Love Don Lemon. You I'm sorry. This is CNN. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.